it blows my mind because this is the most decisive franchise of all the franchises. This is the one the fans are unbearable. And I say that as a fan of it myself. This is my favorite franchise, but it's really difficult for me to talk about it because you're either a Melissa stan or you're a Teresa stan and there's no in between. And if you try to be in between, if you try to see both perspectives and both sides and share your thoughts, me specifically, it's very difficult. This is not just another housewife podcast. Celebrity gossip consuming my brain. You cannot tell me that for the last two years, all of these dates have not been blocked off of NFL stadiums. It is all happening. I'm Brett, and this is the Oops I Gossiped Again podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. It has been a bit. I actually had a week last week. My One of my jobs was very busy. I was in and out of meetings all week, and I had a friend tag me in listening to an episode late, like Thursday night or something. And all of a sudden I went, oh shit, I forgot to record a podcast episode this week. It completely slipped my mind. It was not on purpose. It was not planned. I'm going to fully own the fact that I just plain and simple forgot. You might also notice that this episode is coming out on Friday and not Thursday. And this is something I've been kind of going back and forth on and trying to figure out how I wanted to handle it. The problem that I was having with putting episodes out on Thursday, there were a lot of episodes like Vanderpump Rules, for example. And I know that, you know, that's only one show, but there are shows that come out on Wednesday. And when the episode was coming out on Thursday, I was having to record Wednesday and then I would miss discussing that week's episode. And by the time I got around to next week's episode, it was kind of old news. And so I figured the easiest way to transition this is to record on Thursday and put the episode out on Friday. It's a little Friday gift for you. I think it's more of a fun way anyway. You have more time throughout the weekend to listen. So from here on out, all episodes, unless there is a bonus episode, all main episodes will come out on Friday. So mark your calendars, put in a reminder for every Friday morning that a new episode will be out so you never miss a thing. I think this will just work easier to discuss all of the things that happen throughout the week. We're just going to dive right in because I have a lot I want to share today. First, we're going to talk about Wednesday night's Watch What Happens Live with Tom Schwartz because I feel like this needs to be broken down in so many ways. Now, here's the thing about Tom Schwartz. He's actually very well-spoken. I've always noticed that about him. He's very articulate with the words that he chooses, but he has an extreme amount of word vomit. So he knows exactly what to say to get his point across, and his vocabulary is quite large. I will admit that. And he actually uses words, even like in this week's episode, he calls Katie a provocateur of sense, and that's when she gets really pissed off and gets up and leaves the table at their dinner. But it's actually an interesting choice of word 
because he knows what he's saying. So on Watch What Happens Live, he kept using the phrase, it was very linear. And I don't think that everyone fully understood what he was saying. It was kind of a straight line of they had this one night stand that just progressed in the way that you would assume. So that's what he meant by saying linear. But the way that he word vomit feels as though he has zero media training. Zero. And everyone always wants to make the comment that the way he speaks and he's always looking to Sandoval, that he's trying to almost get permission from Sandoval. And Andy did ask that to him this week on Watch What Happens Live regarding their last episode that they were on on Watch What Happens Live. You know, the subtle looks at Sandoval to try to see what he's allowed to say. We see it in various different interviews. We saw it at BravoCon. We saw it in Watch What Happens Live. But last in that episode, he made a comment like, no, I'm trying to be inclusive. And I think that this is an unpopular opinion because I think we all want to make him look like the bad guy for keeping the secret. We want to make him, you know, say, we told you, we knew that you were hiding this. We knew that you were, you only have loyalty to Sandoval. However, I I honestly feel like he was being truthful in that moment because we've never seen in all of the years... I want you to think back to all 10 seasons, even in the very beginning, you know, when he first joins the cast, Sandoval has always been that very large personality. He is the one that is going to speak out. He is the one that is going to yell. He's going to make sure that you look at him. He wants that spotlight in all aspects, right? And Tom Schwartz has never really been that guy. He's kind of the one in the background. He's awkward. He he doesn't really... I don't feel that he really enjoys all the spotlight on him. So if we think back to their first Watch What Happens Live, and that was after episode one of this season, he had all those nuances. He had the continuous like looking at Sandoval. Now, what we do know is, yes, he did know by then, okay? So there is obviously some things that he's holding inside that aren't coming out. However, I don't think it was that he was trying to cover for Sandoval. I really do feel like he was uncomfortable because very much of that episode and that appearance on Watch What Happens Live was about Tom and Katie. It wasn't about any of these other things. Like Tom Sandoval was not the spotlight. And I think that Schwartz knew that. And so when he said on this week's Watch What Happens Live, I was trying to be inclusive. I was trying to get him into the conversation. I don't like when it's all about me and it and there's somebody else here that could be in the conversation. I do believe that. And I'm going to, a lot of things are probably unpopular because I know that people just want to stick to that idea of he was trying to cover for Sandoval. I'm asking you to kind of see it in a different perspective. And if you have to go back and watch it, even watching that one episode where they, the first episode of Watch What Happens Live where they were on and this week's Watch What Happens Live, but even watching Tom Schwartz in all aspects, he's so awkward. He's so socially uncomfortable in so many situations. I mean, this week on Watch What Happens Live, he said he wore like wrist weights because he wanted to keep himself from touching his face because when he's nervous, that's what he does. I truly feel like this person has dealt with this the entire time he's been on the series. And I don't feel like the constant looking to Sandoval was ever about acceptance or about 
is this okay? Or can I say this? I really do believe in the fact that he's saying, I was trying to be inclusive. I was trying to get him into the conversation because it's always been about Sandoval in the spotlight. And for a short time, for a very brief period, which actually could have been the entire season, okay? The entire season was set up to be about Tom Schwartz and Katie and Tom Schwartz and Raquel. And once again, the spotlight comes back to Tom Sandoval. I just really feel like there's nuances there that we need to look at in a different aspect. And that's just my opinion on it. But back to the idea of the things that Schwartz said last night, and we're going to break them all down. Uh, Schwartz, I don't feel has any media training and he just carries that awkwardness and that word vomit along. Like he uses all of these words. He has a very good vocabulary. He's very articulate of the words that he chooses, but then all of a sudden he just spews and kind of train runs off the tracks to a point where any publicist is probably sitting back just foaming at the mouth because he can't seem to stop. He, when he, he, it's like he knows what he wants to say. He thinks about it ahead of time. He chooses those very particular words. He knows he has a a script to follow. And then the train just runs off the tracks and he just word vomits everything and it loses absolute control. Now, maybe it's because the reunion has already filmed and now Andy knows the answers to these questions. But we got more out of Tom Schwartz on this week's episode of Watch What Happens Live than we've had from anybody. You know, every time someone has been asked, the number one question is, did Tom Schwartz know? If so, how long did he know? And was he a decoy for Tom Sandoval? Like, these are the questions that we have been asking because we've watched that weird behavior from him. So I was actually shocked that we got so much information. Like, my mind the entire time was blown. I even watched the after show, which I don't even usually watch because it's on Twitter and it's like five minutes long. It doesn't really give what we think that an after show should, but I watched it. So from beginning to end, it was just Tom Schwartz word vomiting everything, spilling all the tea, telling us exactly what we have been wondering but still holding a couple things back. Right off the bat, he's talking about the kiss because that's where the episode right before ended. You know, he says, it wasn't a decoy. It wasn't planned. It just happened. We're going to talk about the episode, but in my opinion, I feel like he chose to kiss her that night. Number one, because Katie was sitting right there. He had just gone up, like we saw in the episode, he goes up to their table. He's shunned by Katie. He's probably feeling a certain type of way. He thinks, you know, that she's sitting there and just watching from afar. I think he purposely went in to have that kiss with Raquel to hurt Katie, plain and simple. Now, he doesn't say that on Watch What Happens Live. He's not going to admit that he purposely tried to have a dig at her. However, he does say that it was not a decoy. So following this, Andy's like, all right, well, when did you find out about the affair and was it a decoy? So we already covered, it's not a decoy. It happened, whatever. That's my reason why I think it happened. But what's interesting is what he says about when he found out. He found out that Raquel and Sandoval had a one-night stand at the end of August. Now, when he says end of August, he means that's when he found out. What he leaves out of the entire interview, which is just driving me batty, 
is when was this one night stand? Allegation that Raquel had made out with Schwartz at Coachella. Schwartz was not even at Coachella. Last week's episode, we meet the guy that looks nothing remotely to Tom Schwartz that Raquel had made out with at Coachella. However, there was a whole group of them, including Tom Sandoval and Ariana. So did this one night stand happen at Coachella or was it at Sheena's wedding? So he says, in the end of August, I find out that there was a one night stand. Now, what we know from details that have come out about Scandaval, there was a three hour period, which I'm assuming we'll probably see maybe in next week's episode of Vanderpump or the week after. I don't know how long they're going to drag this Mexico, you know, wedding out. It could be two weeks. It could be three weeks. Who knows? There is a three hour period where Raquel is missing from the bridesmaids getting ready for the wedding. And we also know, according to Raquel and Sheena's friends on the, on Jamie Lynn's podcast, that during that time, she had shut her location off on her phone, just like she had done when she went to Big Bear. She had shut her location off and her friend Kale had asked her right after this all broke, what about that time? And she did not answer. She was uh, allegedly silent. So was this one night stand during Coachella? Was this one night stand sometime during the summer or was this one night stand the weekend of the wedding? Now the wedding I believe took place on August 23rd. So when was the, you know, Schwartz says, okay, I found out about a one night stand the end of August. Does that mean that he found out the day after it happened? Does that mean he found out months after it happened? We don't know. He leaves that detail out and I really hope that that comes out at the reunion because my my wheels are like, I can't let that one little bit of a detail go. I want to know when this one night stand was. When he says, I learned in August, Andy's like, but wait, at the reunion, you said you learned, you told me that you learned of it in January. And he backs up and says, no, no, no. I found out about the affair in January. There was a one night stand that he told me about in August. So essentially from August until this all broke, he knew, he knew that in some capacity, There was a one night stand and Tom and Raquel had hooked up. So that kind of leaves, you know, a whole thing like, yep, you knew. But also, in my opinion, and this again is going to be unpopular and it's why I didn't put it on TikTok. It's why I'm not doing big long recaps of New Jersey and Vanderpump and this Watch What Happens Live on TikTok this week. Because I just feel like it it's so divided and my mental capacity cannot handle that many comments. We know that they are very good friends. While I'm upset that he kept this secret, if I put myself in those shoes and if my best friend came to me and said, I had a one night stand, I fucked up, I made a poor choice. And of course, we don't know what that story is. We don't know what it, how exactly Schwartz heard about it. We don't know what Sandoval said about the one night stand. But if my best friend comes and says, I fucked up, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I'm My loyalty, and this is probably an unpopular opinion, but my loyalty is going to be to my best friend. I'd probably tell my husband, He doesn't have a wife anymore, so he doesn't have Katie to tell. If he and Katie were married, he would probably tell her and then it would have, you know, blown up. But this is a hard, this is like a rock in a hard place. I I really do feel for Schwartz because he finds out in August that there's a one night stand. If my best friend does that, I'm going to have my loyalty to her 
And I'm going to hope and pray that they're going to do the right thing. And this is then where that discussion of linear comes in. I found out in August that they had a one night stand. It was very linear how everything happened. I found out about the full affair in January. But he also makes mention that he knows that there is an emotional affair going on between Tom and Raquel this entire time. Now, later in the episode, he makes a comment. All he could do was tell Tom Sandoval what I thought he should do, and he didn't do that. He also makes a comment, Tom Sandoval fed him this narrative, and I'm assuming that this is when he's, I guess he doesn't really say if this is when he finds out about it in January, because in January he says Tom Sandoval tells him he's in love with her. And so when he makes the statement of, he fed me this narrative that he had tried breaking up with Ariana or that he had broken up with Ariana, he said both, so it's kind of hard to understand that part. It's unclear of whether that came up in January or if that was something that he had progressively said throughout the entire time of this alleged emotional affair. Either way, this emotional affair, you know, we we look back and hindsight as viewers, when we watch things from BravoCon, you know, the way they all kind of connected at BravoCon. Then we, I, I can't get out of my head, and I did an episode on this, I think it was in Patreon, how I loved that Tom Sandoval dressed up as Raquel. It was a big joke. Like, I see that now, and it's just absolutely disgusting because it was just out there in front of us, knowing that they're filming and all of this is going on. They are out in public doing these appearances and all of this is going on. How long was it just solely emotional? How long was it before it went from the one night stand to emotional to now we're hooking up on a regular basis? Because remember, there are also rumors that while Raquel was staying in their home, He was hooking up with her. But according to Tom Schwartz, this is an emotional affair that is just progressing along. And then in January, he finds out, Sandoval tells him, I'm in love with her. And also, I've broken up with her or I'm trying to break up with her. And I'm assuming that Schwartz tells him, you need to get this done. You need to tell her. You need to be honest with her. And Sandoval essentially doesn't follow. Later in the episode, he also says that Tom Sandoval had a, quote, plan. And Andy's like, okay, so was it after the reunion that he was going to tell her? Did he, was he going to wait till the reunion? Was he waiting till things aired? And he just keeps saying he had a plan. Maybe we'll find out what that plan is at the reunion. But it's also like, if Andy's asking Schwartz that now, maybe that doesn't come up at the reunion. I don't know. But it's this constant word vomit from Tom Schwartz. He's saying things like, when Andy asks him, are you mad at Raquel? He doesn't really say yes. He basically says, I'm more angry at Tom Sandoval because he abused my trust. You know, he took advantage of my trust with this infatuation of all infatuations. He compares a heroin addict to what Tom Sandoval is with Raquel right now. He says that Raquel is Tom's heroin. And when I heard that, I'm like, okay, so he is completely infatuated. He is living in this la-la land with her. And Schwartz can't really answer if he thinks that they're going to last. He's, you know, going on about how much backlash they're getting, but they're just living in this, like, dream world right now. I understand that Schwartz is trying to 
minimize the hate because he has a business with this man. He has multiple businesses with this man. He knows the backlash that is coming. He is feeling it. He is getting it himself. I get it. But it's when he's like, just go to Tom Sandoval and instead of, you know, throwing hate at him, just give him a hug. Sir, don't put on the rose-colored glasses here because nobody is out here giving Tom Sandoval a hug for anything. In fact, I saw and I can't remember if it was like reshared by Dumois or something. Sandoval was in St. Louis this past weekend. And he had gone to the opening baseball games, the MLB Open this weekend. And there were fans that were like taking photos with him. Now, I am sorry. You don't feed this man's ego. He does not deserve a hug. He does not deserve to be run up to and say, oh, let me have a picture with you. Let me all that. It's just... Let him sit in the shit that he created. And also, like, page six, Daily Mail, TMZ, stop going and running to these two for interviews. They're, that's what they want. That's what they're paying for. Because all of these little interviews, like, you know, Raquel's one in front of the blush nail bar. The, this is paid for. This is a PR thing. Then we have the TMZ one, which is always the same. It's the same TMZ journalist. And I use journalists loosely. It's the same TMZ paparazzi. And then we find, you know, the one where he's running up on Tom Sandoval, putting the suitcase in the back seat, And like the, they're paying for this. They're paying for this coverage. They want you to feel a certain way. They want you to see them together and say, this is what it's meant to be. We're in love. We're going to be together. That's what they want right now. Stop chasing them with their PR around and getting these random videos, these random interviews, because we know that, that, that they're paying for them. And we know that that's what they want right now. They are loving this. Have we not? We, we talked about it in the beginning of this episode. Tom Sandoval wants the spotlight. And what he has done with this affair, he has ruined his business. He has ruined his band. Like there are so many people down the line that are affected by what he has done, but he is so egotistical and so high class narcissist that he is living for this. He wants the attention. He wants you to run to TMZ to see the interview. He wants those photos. He doesn't care what they look like. He wants them because he wants the spotlight. That is classic narcissism to a T. Overall, I was really, I was really shocked that Schwartz came out and spilled it. He spilled it all. He made it known. He answered the questions with little details that are stewing in my brain that we don't know yet, but he actually answered. And I don't think that people were prepared for that. I feel like people really expected him to come on and have that nice guy thing, beat around the bush and not really say what was supposed to be said, but he didn't. He answered all the questions. He put out his truth and I commend him for that. And I know I'm going to get a lot of heat for that, but I do because these are all things that we have been asking. I've never believed this entire time that he was any sort of decoy. I really didn't believe that he was condoning the relationship. 
I did feel that he knew in some capacity of what was going on. I don't know what I would do in that situation either because my loyalty would be to my best friend. Had he and Katie still been married, it probably would have been a very different situation. I believe that he probably would have told Katie and all of this would have been blown up. Knowing that they're not together, like he doesn't have any loyalty to anyone other than Tom Sandoval. Now, he also made mention that Ariana is, you know, distant from him right now. And Andy's like, it seemed like on the inter- on the reunion that that is putting it nicely. And yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that Ariana wants nothing to do with Schwartz. Every one of the women want nothing to do with Schwartz. I get it. It's that blind loyalty to your friend that I personally just feel like I would have as well. He also made a lot of comments about Katie. And I'm torn on this because we can kind of intertwine this with now the episode from this week and even last week because there's so many dynamics with Tom and Katie. You know, when Andy asks him, how were you a good husband? And he thinks that he is. I don't think that he can really accept all of the blame here. And maybe it's because I've never really been a fan of Katie. In this week's episode, she makes a comment that her energy is great and everyone loves her. And I'm like, are we watching the same show? Do you watch yourself back? I knew from the moment that the two of them got married that it was doomed. I feel like they got married because it was the right thing to do. It was the next step. She was pushing for it. What always caught me, and even in this week, we got a flashback of the night at that party when he gives Katie the ring on a string. I always felt Katie needed to stop giving him these ultimatums and just follow through with her end of it. She was always pushing to get married. She was always pushing for him to propose. And he wasn't a good husband. He wasn't. He cheated on her multiple times. He was making out with people. They weren't good together. They were actually very toxic together from what we see. Now, of course, we don't know whatever happened when the cameras were off. Maybe everything was great, but there were very few times from the time of ring on a string through now. There were so many red flags in this relationship. She should have walked away from Tom Schwartz over and over and over again, but it was always an ultimatum. It was always I'm going to leave if you don't take this next step. If we don't get married, I'm going to leave. She should have fucking left. And I'm sorry for getting into your ears. That was loud, I'm sure. But she should have fucking left. Everyone wants to throw it on Tom Schwartz as being a shitty husband, not doing all the things that she wanted. But in my opinion, there are times when, watch what happens live, he called her a monster. And I was like, oh, Schwartz, there's that word vomit. Like, don't, don't do that. And then he tried to backtrack it in the after show and say, I meant Angel, I meant Angel. Like, these are the things that he does not, he thinks about particular words that need to come out of his mouth, but then he uses words like that that you can tell are just complete word vomit. But when Katie said, I have great energy and everyone loves me, I'm like, what? She has been... One of the most negative people on this show since the very beginning. I've always felt like she has this interesting insecurity that on one hand she tries to cover up, 
But on the other hand, when it comes out, it's so clear as day. But good vibes, great energy, everyone loves her. I don't see it. I do not see it. She has always been negative. There's always something, even this whole wedding thing and the room. I'm kind of living for a petty Sheena right now. I'm not going to lie. I really kind of am because Sheena has always gone above and beyond. Always. Like it is true to character. And this pettiness of having her room moved and the pettiness of saying like she can't be at the preferred pool. But it's all because she made one request. We are down a room. You don't want to be at the wedding. You don't like me. Please just give up the room. You are only going to bring negative energy in. And I think Sheena knew that. I. Don't know why Katie could have just said, you know what, I'm going to be the bigger person here. And you're right. I Give me the $1,000. I'll give you the room. We will go on a vacation somewhere else. And I know that that is a contested argument among the Pump Rules fans as well because people are like, no, she shouldn't bow down to Sheena. I don't see it as bowing down. I feel like that was a moment for Katie to support the statement of, I have great energy and everybody loves me but she didn't. I feel like she did that on purpose. The moment she is told, hey, all of the festivities are going to be happening at the preferred pool. Please don't come. She makes a smirk in her confessionals. They're there basking by the pool, which was weird because nobody was even there. So I didn't fully understand that. But it's Sheena trying to make the balls big. It really is. And that's classic Sheena. It's Sheena being petty to the 10th degree, but it is Katie living to her truest self as well. But if you want to put out this narrative that you are this nice person and Tom Schwartz never backed you up, he never backed her up because she was fucking wrong. There were so many times, and I, and I think that's where Tom Schwartz is trying to say, like, hey, I can't support you when you're just being awful, when you're just being an awful person, I can't support that. Wife or no wife, I wouldn't expect my husband to either. If I am being that absolutely rude for no reason other than to manipulate and hurt someone, which in this case it's Sheena, I can't back you up on that either because I don't believe it. Now, I'm not trying to say that Tom Schwartz was a great husband. He cheated on her. He did say awful things to her to her face. We don't know what he did. He threw a drink in her face at one point uh, or poured it over her head, whatever. But this whole relationship was doomed from the beginning. The two of them should never have gotten married, not ever. And I knew it from the moment it happened. She should have walked away when she got a ring on a fucking string, but she didn't. And now the whole thing is going to spin around and say that he was the demise of their relationship. And Schwartz and Sandy's was the demise of their relationship. No, no, no. There were many things that were the demise of their relationship. I don't think that he is over her. I don't think he is over her one bit. I really, even watching Watch What Happens Live, I still to this day don't think that he is completely over her. I think he was completely infatuated and in love with her and hasn't gotten over that. So when they have this huge fight at their dinner, which was ridiculous, I don't know why they did it in the first place. I understand the intention, but like we should have known. When they have this big fight, he has not spoken to her. So the next night when he leaves the party to go over to the table and have a conversation with her, he's drunk. 
He brings up something stupid like, oh, will you cut my armpit hairs? And she's just he's trying to come in in the most Schwartz way to make a joke and break the ice and see if she'll talk to him. And she is not giving him the time of the day. Not that he deserves it. I I, I totally get it. But when he walks away, they're kind of talking about it. Lala and Christina Kelly are talking about it. She makes a comment. He's in pest mode, that like I call it. So what everyone says is, oh, if he's saying these things to her face all the time, imagine what he's saying behind camera. But she does it right back. She does the exact same thing. And the way that she said, I call it pest mode, that means that she has said that to him directly in the past. So it's not just one-sided here. They go tit for tat together and they were both doomed from the beginning. And again, I'm not trying to stick up for Schwartz here because I think he was a shitty person in the relationship as well, but she is equally just as much of a shitty person. And what she always wanted was him to blindly back her up, even if she was wrong. And he didn't do that all the time. He didn't do that all the time. And now she's like what we're seeing now with the divorce. She is, in my opinion, feeling as though the group is pushing her out and she, that insecurity is coming back in and she feels like she doesn't belong. And I really do think they're trying to coexist in this group. And it's just not working. I think she's upset because the way that she has acted in the past, there are a lot of people that have called her out for that behavior. And there may be some of them that don't want to be around her, but when they were married, they tolerated her. And now they're just not doing that anymore. And she's feeling the full blow of that. But we're watching this demise of their relationship happen on camera And it's sad. It really is because as much as I don't feel that they ever should have been together, it's very raw emotions from both sides. She is deeply hurt. She's feeling deeply casted out. He, I feel like, is still in love with her. You know, she's the one that wanted the divorce. He's seeing that he fucked up. He's trying to be amicable in any possible way. But it's that wall that Katie puts up that she's just not going to let him in. It's just really hard to watch. I mean, at any point when you see a demise of a relationship happening on camera, even when, you know, Sheena and her husband got divorced, that was a hard thing to watch. That's all the show has ever been, right? The makeup and the breakup and the cheating and the scandals. We get it. But this one feels a little bit harder because we have watched this relationship for so many years and we wanted it to feel good. We wanted them to be able to work it out, even though I never thought that they would. It doesn't mean that I didn't want it to. So it is still very hard to watch and it's sad. And there are so many other things I could talk about with this, the last two weeks of Vanderpump, you know, even discussing this wedding. Like I said, I don't know how long this is going to be drawn out. So we'll probably talk more about the wedding specifically in next week's episode, if we get it, or the whole weekend itself. It all just seems like a lot. It really does. And I, I do wish that they would stop giving Lala so much heat for not wanting to be at every single event. She's sober. She has done an impeccable job this entire season of, you know, being a wingman, 
being a person that's around all the drunk people and really holding in her own sobriety and and taking care of herself in those aspects. But we've seen for many years that when Lala is overstimulated, she's off by herself. I think people are more pissed that they think that she's spending time with Katie. Like, why would you bring Christina Kelly? You're a bridesmaid. You're invited to all these things. You know how Sheena is feeling about (laughs) Katie and Christina being there in the first place. Why are you bringing her to this dinner? But there are so many events that are happening for this wedding. And it just seems, even I'm like, I would never. I I could not be at all of these things. I'm going to do my best for you, but sometimes I'm going to need a break. So they're getting really pissed at Lala for, you know, maybe not wanting to be on the catamaran or not being at this big party. I get it if you're pissed because you think that she's doing it to be there for Katie, which I think is the situation. But if Katie wasn't there, Lala wouldn't be there either. Lala would be in her room with her blankie and her bottle. Let the girl take a breather. I need to talk still about Real Housewives New Jersey and Love is Blind. I have not watched. Let's talk about Love is Blind first. I have not yet watched the most recent episodes that came out Well, I'm recording this Thursday, so that's today. I have not watched them yet. That would be the final episodes that are going to be the weddings. But there are some things I want to talk about. The number one hot topic of this entire season so far has been Micah and Irina. These two girls are the absolute worst. The worst. And when I think back to, maybe it was even episode one, where Irina is talking about how she was super insecure. She had problems with acne when she was in high school. She has these scars all over her face. She doesn't, you know, she didn't know how to grow from that. And now she just feels more beautiful and she's lived and worked through it. And I'm like, okay, we are going to get a sweetest pie girl here. We are going to get, you know, the girl that has grown from this was allegedly bullied and she knows not how to act. And we got the exact opposite of a human being in this girl. Micah and Irina are the youngest ones of the group. They are clearly immature. They are clearly not knowing how to act, but they are acting everything up for the televisions. And what I found was interesting is that Micah, when she was away from Irina, was a completely different person. Micah, when she was not by her friends, was a completely different person. When she was in this little bubble She really had more of an understanding of who she was, not who she was, how she should act. But when it came into this with other people, it's like this mean girl flip switch was flipped. I did see that she put out a statement and she commented that, you know, my comments are off. I will turn them on when I feel a little bit better. Like, honestly, good for her. I'll commend her for that because she's knowing how to protect her own peace. But also you have to you have to take responsibility for the things you said and did because we've watched you be an absolutely horrible human. Absolutely horrible human. These two girls alone make Zeneb and Jessica, Jessica was in season one, look like saints. Look like saints. And I don't think that it was until Irina made comments and tried to make moves on Paul that even Micah was like, I realized what was going on and I was duped by her too. But that doesn't excuse the behavior that you have had in so many episodes already. The guys this season are all amazing. There are some red flags, I think, with Zach. But the thing with Paul and Zach is I see them, you know, one's an environmental scientist and one's an attorney, which gives me the vibe that these two were like, 
The nerdy kids in school got good grades, but the popular girls wouldn't give them another look. Now, they're both very good looking people, but they are very interesting in their own aspect that they're extremely smart. They're extremely smart. So they probably were those people in high school that didn't get the looks from the popular girls. And now all of a sudden, Irina and Micah are giving off that popular girl vibe. Remember, they're young, they're immature, they're in this party stage, they're saying all of the right things without ever having seen each other. And then when they get in these relationships, it's like now we're the guys that have the hot girls, the popular girls, this and that. And obviously, it doesn't work out for Zach. We knew that. We knew that. And then he goes back to Bliss. And I really wish that Bliss would have made him fight for her a little bit more. I wish that she would have stuck to her guns when she said, I'm going to judge your character if you choose Irina. I wish that would have been brought up. Maybe it was and we just didn't see it on camera. I don't think these two are going to the altar. And now these episodes are out, and I'm saying this before I see them, but I don't think she's going to say yes. And the reason is because I think that she's just going, She, you can tell that she's still really upset about it. On the one episode where he's trying to validate that she's not the second choice, like, th- no, the reason she's the second choice and the reason she feels that way is because you literally chose someone over her and then realized you made a mistake and came crawling back. I think inside of her, she's just going to feel too deeply that she can't let that go. And I don't think she's going to say yeah. Now, there's a moment where Paul and Zach are having a conversation and Paul is like, she doesn't show me affection. And Zach's like, yeah, well, basically saying like, you need you need to be that hard guy for her and force her to show you inf- affection. And it's like, this is holding a candle to having control over someone. Now, I never wanted Micah to choose Kwame. I really didn't. I, th- I thought Kwame was too good for her. I thought that he was too far mature of her. But I really don't like her and Paul together. I I don't see it. I don't see the connection there. I now, looking back, I see more of that with Kwame. I They have kind of the same outlook. He's not feeling like he's ready to settle down. He wants to travel. Chelsea is really pushing this, I want to get married. I want to have kids. I'm, you know, 30, I think she said she's 37. She wants to do all of these things and I don't think he's ready for it. I still see a spark between Kwame and Micah and I actually would be more here for that than I would with Chelsea. And I love Chelsea. She deserves something great, but I don't think that it's Kwame. Brett and Tiffany, if these two do not say yes at the altar, I am done watching this show because they are, I am obsessed with Brett Again, I think all of the men on the show this season were just genuinely good men, but Brett specifically, the two of them together, I I feel it through the TV. So if they don't say yes, I'm going to be absolutely heartbroken. Marshall and Jacqueline. It has been so heartbreaking to watch their relationship since they came out of the pods. In the pods, they were so good, so good. Outside of the pods, everything begins to break down. In my opinion, just from what I see on my television, I can't make any snap judgments because we don't know what happens off screen. We don't know how she is or what she's been through. In my opinion of what I see on my television screen, Jackie is the quintessential, quote, broken woman in a relationship. 
And Marshall said it in last week's final episode when he said she's looking for that toxic kind of love. She wants him to be aggressive. She wants someone to fight and not fight for her. She wants someone to fight with. When she tells him that he is not aggressive enough, she tries to turn it around and say that it's about in the bedroom. But it's not. It is she wants someone to fight. That is where her fuel comes from. And maybe that's something she's just always known. Maybe she's never had someone that is giving to her, that is loving her in a genuine way. And all she's ever known is that she has to fight with someone to get them to love her. Or she has to fight with somebody because that's what passion means. It is this generational curse of things. We know a little bit that she has problems with her family. We don't really know the whole aspect of it, but we know that there's something there. So she has probably had to fight for love from family. Maybe she has had to fight for love from friends, but it's fairly clear that she's not looking for someone to just love her and be there for her. She's looking for someone that she needs to fight with. And that is something that takes time and healing and growth and, and therapy, so much therapy. And I think maybe in the pods, she felt that because when she made the comment about Josh saying, if it's not you, I'm leaving, Marshall got really pissed. But Marshall got pissed because he had somebody that was giving her an ultimatum and he didn't feel that that was appropriate. That is what he got pissed about. And then he tells her that he went to fight for her and he went to fight with Josh about her. So she saw that as this person's fighting. This person is aggressive. This is the man that I want to be with. But in actuality, he's fighting for her because he loves her and he genuinely doesn't think that a woman should be treated in that way. But she's seeing it in the way that her eyes have always seen it. Now, here's a spoiler. Hopefully, by the time you listen to this, maybe you've watched those episodes. But if you have not, hit pause on this podcast, watch all the Love is Blind episodes, and then come back. I will let you do that. Because here is a major spoiler about what is to happen with Marshall and Jackie. Last weekend, once again, with the MLB and baseball games, like I didn't realize this many people enjoyed baseball, there is a TikToker that shared a video of Jackie and Josh together at a baseball game last weekend. Now, maybe Netflix needs to do a little bit more here, but The Bachelor has done it right for... 75 seasons in all areas of all franchises, you don't go out in public until all the episodes have aired. Like that's just common, number one, common sense. Um, Number two, probably in contracts. You don't talk about it. You don't give interviews. You don't show up in public, but they were spotted together, which means to me that there is no more Marshall and Jackie, and it is Jackie and Josh. I was just kind of blown away when I saw that. I'm like, you know, it's got to be in your contract. And if it's not, Netflix, what the fuck are you doing? I feel like I heard that this show has filmed multiple seasons over the exact same time, just in various cities. So we don't know how long it's been since these two were together or any of the couples on this show were together. 
but stay out of the public. You could have waited five more days because that's what it was. You know, the episodes come out on Thursday. You could have waited five more days before going out in public. I'm looking forward to watching the final episodes and send me a DM on Instagram and let me know if you want me to do a bonus episode maybe early next week solely on Love is Blind so we can talk about all the episodes once I've watched them all and kind of dig into what's happening. Last but not least, let's talk about Real Housewives New Jersey. And I'm not going to get into all of the recaps of the episodes because I'm already pushing time limit. We got into a lot of stuff on Vanderpump, but I do want to talk about a few things. Now, I purposely did not do any recaps on New Jersey this week. Number one, I did not watch the episode the night that it aired. I I watched it the next day and then I was interrupted by work again and I didn't get to watch it until I finished watching Vanderpump on Wednesday night. But I also have been having a really hard time with the comments when it comes to Real Housewives of New Jersey. It blows my mind because this is the most decisive franchise of all the franchises. This is the one the fans are unbearable. And I say that as a fan of it myself. This is my favorite franchise, but it's really difficult for me to talk about it because you're either a Melissa stan or you're a Teresa stan and there's no in between. And if you try to be in between, if you try to see both perspectives and both sides and share your thoughts, me specifically, it's very difficult because the comment sections and the hatred and the vitriol that comes from people, like the name calling, the people that I have had, the comments I've had to delete, the people that I've had to block because of the hatred that is spewed, it's so hard. It's so hard. I had a couple people come in on a video I did last week that said, I really wish your content wasn't so one-sided. Now, what I've tried to say from the very beginning of Real Housewives New Jersey coverage since this season started, since before the season started, for the last couple of years, I have felt that Melissa and Joe are big fucking liars. Big liars. Seasons before that, I couldn't stand the way that Teresa was treating them. I I have always gone back and forth on my opinion of this whole Gorga situation. But I've also said on my social medias, I'm not here to break the news. I'm here to give my thoughts and my opinions, and that's why you follow me. It's not so that I can give you the breaking news. My content is going to be as best as I can not one-sided, but if there's someone that I believe over the other, I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to share my opinion. And these comments came on a video where I flat out said I felt really badly for Melissa in this moment. And in a previous episode, I could understand what was going through Melissa's head. I felt for her. I don't know how I can become more in the middle and try to be neutral knowing what I know. So let's talk about what we know because the big thing is Pizzagate. Little did I know that we were not going to be fighting this season about not being in the wedding or not attending the wedding, but we are going to be talking about pizza ovens. So little backstory. Last week's episode, Teresa and Louie tell the group the breakdown between the Gorgas and them is Louie had invested $250,000 into a pizza oven company that, according to Joe Gorga, was his idea. And not even just his idea, his nephew's idea, and came to him and he went to Louie with it. Allegedly, everything before that, this was coming from watching an after show 
there were multiple people that said like everything was good in January 2021 and then all of a sudden this happened in March and then things weren't good. So it comes down to a a business deal. Last week, Joe was saying, I can go into business with anyone. It can be fine when Teresa's like, we shouldn't go into business together anymore. It just causes problems. And he's like, well, if you trust the person and you're not out to try to cheat someone, then obviously, you know, it's going to work. They previously had a pizzeria when Nono was alive. That went under. That did not go well. So what makes you think that another business together was going to go well? Joe allegedly has an idea from his nephew to sell these pizza ovens. Louis says, okay, I will will invest $250,000. Joe never invests any money. So what happens is it's going to be called like Nono's Pizza or whatever, and it's going to be a subscription service. And they order all of these pizza ovens and they come back. They offer 5% of the company to... Joe and Melissa. And now I've also heard stories that it was 10%. So either way, whatever. They offered like a minimal percentage of the company to the Gorgas. Now, Joe Gorga gets really pissed off and thinks he it's his idea, which again, it wasn't. It was his nephew's idea. He said that. He claims it's his idea. He believes that he deserves 50% of the company. But remember, he doesn't invest any money. Now, he also has come back, or there are other Bravo accounts that are coming back and saying, well, I know the real story. And the real story is they didn't get to the point where Joe was going to invest the money because it all broke down before that. But I feel like maybe Joe could have said, I had planned to. From his words, there was no money on his behalf exchanged. But yet he believes that he deserves 50% of a company that he has not put any money into. Allegedly then, Teresa and Louis go and have all these photos taken and they change the name to Skinny Italian, which we find out actually is true, which I was like, that sounds like a lie to me, but it sounds like that's true because there are pictures now that are coming up on eBay of these pizza ovens. And now I dug, all I could find was screenshots and links to one item, like a particular item. And I couldn't find where there were masks being sold, anything like that. It was one seller on eBay that had multiple different like home things that they were selling. So it's not like they were just mass selling these pizza ovens on eBay. And now we're also finding out that there is a restaurant, I believe, or like a, a, I, I think it's called Colombian Inn. I don't have the notes right in front of me, but they had actually in 2020 trademarked this whole thing. So they trademarked the pizza ovens, the subscription service, literally everything that was Joe Gorga's quote idea was trademarked by another company a year before this. So no matter how the cookie crumbles, whose idea it was, who put in the money, who changed the plan, who bought the ovens, whatever ordeal it is, Joe Gorga kicked this off by having an idea, an original idea trademarked by another company. You just don't do that. That's illegal right off the bat. So now the argument of all these people in the Bravo sphere coming out with quote receipts is that Louis didn't actually lose $250,000 because they're still selling them. And that's where they're coming up on eBay. However, if this is trademarked, it's not like they can go out and have this business because the business actually is illegal. The moral of the story is the Gorgas should not get into business together. 
There is no reason for Teresa and Joe to ever have a business together. We saw the first one flop. Now we have him coming up with another idea that is not an original idea. No matter how much he tries to claim it, there is legal proof that it is a trademarked by a different company and there's money involved. Let's talk about the money for a second though. I have really tried with all of my being to give Louis the benefit of the doubt. Because remember, I'm trying to come in unbiased. I'm trying to come in without outside influences on how I should feel about Louis. What I am seeing is that he was really trying to get her to be a better person. He's really trying to embrace her healing and supporting her. Now I'm seeing a different Louis. I'm seeing an opportunist. I am seeing the person that he has to have his own money, right? Like there has to be money that was, if he just had $250,000 to invest, obviously somewhere there was money that he already had, but he's starting to look more and more like a slime. There were red flags all over that brunch in last week's episode. The way that he wouldn't allow Teresa to sit down and have a conversation with Melissa and him was weird to me. The way he looked at her and like spoke to her like a child it was a red flag for me. The way he invaded Melissa's space when she was clearly uncomfortable by making her hold his hand and all of this, that was a red flag to me. The pushing of the business deal, that is a red flag to me. There are so many red flags that are coming up about this man. Nothing seems to be fitting. But what we don't ever see from Joe and Melissa is Joe coming to Teresa in a way that is calm with these concerns. And this was an argument last season, you know, when all of the things that Margaret brought, brought up, they didn't turn their back on her. They engaged in the shit talking. And that is still what Teresa has a problem with. We don't ever see Joe and Melissa coming to Teresa directly in a calm manner and having discussions and voicing their concerns and doing all of these things. We see it also with this whole wedding bullshit. We find out that not once did they ever go to Melissa or to Teresa and say, hey, Melissa's upset. Melissa wants her mom invited to the wedding, but yet Joe and Melissa talked about it to everybody else. But we also never see Teresa have a calm conversation and voice her concerns with Joe and Melissa. These two are the exact same person. They're brother and sister, but they have the exact same demeanor. They have the exact same morals. They have the exact same values. And that is, we don't talk about it. If we don't talk about it, it'll be brushed under the rug. If we don't talk about it, then it's not a problem. But that's where all of this just escalates. And in this week's episode, there's a moment where Joe is kind of retelling the story of another Pizzagate, <laughs> Pizzagate 2.0, involving Dina and all these things that he's upset about. And Melissa's like, look at your veins. Your veins are popping. These two are so hot-headed. They cannot even control a conversation about one another with their own spouse. There's so much pain and emotions and feelings and thoughts and words that are trapped inside of them that they just don't ever let out with one another. And that is why they are never going to be able to reconcile anything because they can't let down their own egos to sit and have a mature conversation ever. Pizzagate 2.0 was another thing that Joe and Melissa brought up that they're like, we were never going to talk about. And it involves Dina. 
Now, there were some rumors swirling around months ago about Dina not being at the wedding because remember, Dina and Teresa are very close friends. So there were all these rumors that there was a falling out between Teresa and Dina. And now when these rumors came out, I'm wondering, like, I can't remember the exact timeline of this, but this could have been right around the time of filming when this conversation of Pizzagate 2.0 comes out. Joe and Melissa want to claim, and then of course you have Margaret, Margaret in the fucking corner going, well, I know all of this firsthand. No, your firsthand is that you heard it from Joe and Melissa. Shut the hell up. According to Joe and Melissa, Joe gets a phone call from Dina's husband because he says they're close and they're friends. He gets a phone call and finds out that there was a possible business deal between Dina and her husband and Louie and Teresa. Sound familiar? The deal goes bad. They're on bad terms. That This is why there's a fallout between Teresa and Dina. And this is why Dina is not in or at the wedding. When all of this came out, Dina actually did a Q&A on her Instagram recently and someone asked about it like what's the truth what happened between you and Teresa and she says nothing <laughs> I wish I had kept the exact screenshot of it because I know I saved it but she says nothing nothing happened I didn't want to film the wedding was going to be filmed I did not want to be on camera I did not want to be there with cameras I did not want to film I didn't want to be around these people that's why I wasn't at or in the wedding Dina was at the engagement party. There were no cameras. Dina was on that vacation for Teresa's birthday that we saw in the beginning of the season. There were no cameras. Dina has been involved with Teresa anytime there are no cameras. She chose to not be at the wedding because she did not want to be on camera. But according to Joe and Melissa, it is because of another failed business dealing. There were some cryptic things that were posted by Dina on stories when this all came out on the episode. I think Dina just wants to live her own life. And now we have Melissa and Joe pulling her back into the fray once again. But all this would have been talked about around the same time that Dina told Teresa, I'm not going to be in the wedding. Maybe it's just me, but I feel like that's a little opportunistic of the Gorgas to now try to create some additional story of why Dina's not there to cause problems for Teresa. It's just never going to end with any of them. There's always going to be another thing that that each side is going to try to put on the other side. I just personally feel, and it's just my opinion, that Teresa is doing a better job right now of not bringing up more shit, of not consistently throwing them under the bus, of not consistently making it about them. And I feel like this entire season, that's all we've watched. We have seen Teresa extend an invite to Joe and Melissa for events off camera and events on camera. They only want to be involved in the ones that are on camera because their contract says they have to be. They are not around for the ones that are not on camera. And in my opinion, that just says a lot. It really does. And the last thing I'm going to say about Real Housewives of New Jersey, and then I'm going to wrap up this episode because it's far too long. Margaret Josephs needs to be let go from this show. She needs to be let go. And I know that Real Housewives of New Jersey is never going to do that because she you know, keeps bringing up this arsenal of things because she does. She has secrets on everyone. I don't love the way that Jennifer Aiden continues to bring it up, but this woman will not be happy until 
all of the secrets are out and people's lives are destroyed. The way that she treated even Dolores at, at Paul's home at this psychic tea thing, which was the biggest bullshit I've ever seen. Like that was so set up. It was unbearable and uncomfortable to watch. It was ridiculous. But the way that she speaks to Dolores, because Dolores has decided that her friendship with Jen Aiden is important to her and she wants to make up with her and she wants to, you know, move forward and put the past to rest. Margaret can't handle it. Margaret cannot handle it. Margaret is the biggest shit stirrer of this entire franchise that I think has ever been on this franchise. Always stirring the pot. And she just has like this holier than thou attitude about her where she says one thing and then flippantly denies it in a completely different capacity, but says the exact same thing. I'm getting to the point where I feel like I just want to fast forward through everything she's in. But it also fascinates me that she says one thing and then completely just says the complete opposite and like still tries to make her point. This whole franchise has become just exhausting to watch because there's so much pain and there's so much hatred on all levels. There are two, you know, just like at a reunion, there are two sides of the couches and that's how it ha- this entire season has been. And it's getting really, really hard to watch. It's not fun to watch when it's the same argument and it's so deeply vitriol. It's so deep. I'm hoping maybe this trip to Ireland will lighten things up a little bit. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm having hope. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be what we think it is, but it's getting hard to watch this season and it's hard to talk about it, especially on social media because the fans and the stands, once you're stuck in one way, it's like, ugh, it's, it's the hardest one to talk about. It really is. So I thank you for sticking with me through this whole episode. It, it, it's a long one, but I had a lot to say and we have a lot going on. I hope that you enjoyed it. Send me a DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought of the episode. Leave a comment. Please rate and review the show. I'm always begging you guys to do so, please do it. It doesn't take but five seconds just to hit a star or, you know, say that you like the show so that the platforms can see it and they can get more people to listen to the show. I hope that you have a wonderful weekend and I'll talk to you in the next episode. Bye.